It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, Julia. Um, like listening to your poll, I tell you. It's very interesting, very... isn't it? Um, I mean, again, yeah. I, I think, I mean, look, there are a lot of people, these lockdown sceptics, people who always thought it was terrible infringement, people who proudly take photos of themselves not wearing masks in supermarkets. I've yeah. never understood all of that. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think these are hills to die on, on that front. But <laughs> I'm, I'm very concerned about these new rules, the massive restrictions on our lives. Christmas being cancelled effectively, you can't, I mean, you know, it depends how big your family is, I suppose. But um, yeah. do you think that the government is doing the right thing? Well, the government is clearly really worried about the spikes that are coming up really in many parts of the country. And they're saying, we feel we have to put rules in place because we tried to do it through persuasion and we don't think enough people are taking our advice seriously. I still hope, as I've told you before on this programme, that people will work out how to live with a virus and will make the changes to their lives. Because I think having government set rules and decide what you may or may not do can't last forever people will get fed up and it's really actually having everybody saying this new virus is something i have to take seriously i'm going to do it voluntarily yeah that seems to me to be important. And, and I have to say, I mean, I think the vast majority of people, I mean, you, you notice the person on public transport who's not wearing the mask. Of course you right. do. Um, yeah. uh, but the vast, vast, vast majority of people, I think, have been very sensible, have obeyed the rules, have done so, you know, with the good spirit, you know, outside clapping for the NHS early on. But the reason for the original lockdown, of course, was that, you know, we had to, and this is protecting the NHS. It was a little bit of an issue with that because uh, I think the NHS is protect us rather than the other way around. Um, but, but, you know, we didn't know much about this virus things were looking really very scary from what we'd seen in china what we'd seen in italy um just to get on top of this prepare our extra capacity with the nightingale hospitals um, until we knew yeah. a bit more yeah okay fine let's lock down and then we'll you know come out months 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 later look a lot of us been back in the workplace for months a lot of us out and about i'm using public transport thank goodness my child's back at school there are millions more who are still terrified in their homes. Much easier to scare people in their homes, into their homes than get them out again. The reality is um, this virus is never going to go away. We, th that's not what Got viruses it. yeah. do. It's never going to go away. But also, but also yeah. we are not going to have a vaccine for this winter. We were always going to have to live with the vaccine, through, I mean, yeah. live with the virus through this winter, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. it could have been me talking. <laughs> virus not going away. We're going to have to live with it for the foreseeable future. So we have to find ways to get on with our lives whilst holding the virus back. It's like being on a constant state of defence. Partly it's how we behave. 
partly it's how local areas, local authorities and health people organise themselves so that these things like the testing, tracing and isolating can work as well as possible. And then with that defence in place, we just get on with life. And I, that's still my destination, Julia. That's where I want all countries to get to. And I suppose I'm saying the present is the period while we work out how to deal with it. And, and these slightly unfortunate situations where we're asked to do things that we really don't worry really want to do. I hope that's temporary and that we will come through this changing our behaviour and learning to live with this unwelcome new yeah. presence in our world. Indeed. I mean, if everybody was you know, wearing a mask and in, in public places where they could pass it on, if everyone was washing their hands regularly and social distancing, yeah. exactly. I, mean, I meet up with friends, we go to restaurants, we've had people at our home, but we, we don't we don't hug each other anymore. You know, we had a big yeah. conversation about well, do we hug grandparents when we see them uh, and the like. And and, um, and if, if we were all doing that, we wouldn't be in this trouble. It is really noticeable Absolutely. that infections um, have gone up massively. I mean, just massively, massively uh, in the younger age groups, 17 to 21 year olds, way i mean just huge 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 increase uh, and basically all the way up to 30 uh, as well um but i mean these will be young people just basically at the prime of their lives freed from everything finally getting to see their mates again and they've all frankly gone a little bit crazy a lot of this frankly i think parents need to be you know giving sending the message to their youngsters how big a worry should it be that these 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 infection rates in the young are actually going to um, affect older people, given that the vast majority of young people, I mean, when I say vast majority, I mean 99.9999999999% uh, won't even need to go to hospital, let alone die. Well, that, just I want to hold on that last point. I don't want, again, to be a, a misery guts, but <laughs> actually one in 20 or so of younger people who get this virus don't get better quite as quickly okay. and easily as as it used to be said. We're seeing there's something called long tail COVID, which is basically you stay quite tired. You also are not as fit as you used to be. It's generally an unpleasant thing and it doesn't go away. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Uh, well, let's uh, talk about all this now with Richard Tice. He's chairman of the Brexit Party and businessman. And uh, Richard, we do want to talk about uh, Brexit and the latest shenanigans over all of that, but I must get your thoughts. I know you've been quite outspoken on the issue of uh, of getting people back to work, getting people back in the workplace and the lockdown. Uh, what's your reaction to the latest restrictions on our daily lives? Uh, good morning, Julia. Well, I'm truly appalled by uh, these latest uh, huge restrictions that the government is imposing it's totally unnecessary, Julia, when you look at the data. Now, this is a government and a prime minister who've always banged on about relying on the science. Well, firstly, uh, you know, scientists agree as much as economists do. But the data, the real data shows that actually, when you look at the number of hospitalizations and the number of deaths, they are bumping along uh, record lows. But they're all, they're all going up. Now, hospitalizations and deaths have, by, they have gone a, up by a very, very small number. By a, by a tiny percentage. You've got more chance of dying of flu here in England than you have of uh, dying of the virus. When you look at the percentage of people who are tested, who test positive with this disease, it's less than 2%. This is a complete overreaction to a disease that actually we are now basically on top of. Uh, you know, 
younger people are getting the virus. We're treating it much better using remdesivir and dexamethasone. And, you know, we need a government uh, that starts to say to people, you can't eliminate risk. You've got to manage and mitigate it. But we've got to get on with our lives. We've got to get on with uh, kickstarting the economy again. We've got to try and protect our city centres. We've got to come to terms with the change in our working lives and try and get a win-win out of heart working from home, heart getting back into the office. You know, we cannot prejudice our children and our grandchildren's, uh, you know, lives and, and, and future generations with this appalling dictatorial way of running one of the greatest democracies in the world. Um, are you are you going to comply with the new COVID rules? I've been really, you know, very you know, assiduous about trying to do the right thing. Um, I, I'm a law. I'm, I think of myself as a law-abiding person, but I, I, I feel, I feel some of this is a step too far for me living in a free democracy. Uh, you're absolutely right, Julia. And the truth is that the government has lost the confidence of the people because of its continuing incompetence on so many issues. And I think uh, the majority of people recognise that the government has completely misinterpreted what's going on. And I think the majority of people, myself included, will say, "Do you know what?" I think I'll work out uh, what represents a risk to others and, uh, you know, uh, we will apply our own judgment. And that's what you do in a free and democratic society. So, you know, I think we're in a very difficult place. I think the government's completely misjudged uh, and misread the data. And um, it's, it's, it's not good. And, um, you know, the implications for businesses, uh, for jobs are truly appalling. Uh, you know, people who've just started to reopen up and start investing again uh, you know are they, are they going to continue to do so or are they going to say no i've got to hold back um and that's we're, that's we're the fear really, isn't it like, i mean um, i have to say look i don't think people like chris witty um, you know misread the data it seems to me it's just it's your willingness to take what you consider to be reasonable risks in your life and we can we can we can leave a, a covid risk life unfortunately being covid risk free means you have loads of other risks. As we know, we're seeing people dying of cancer and heart disease because they're not getting treated. And we're going to see God knows how many uh, deaths as a result of, uh, of of the massive lockdown. And when we do actually start seeing those mass job losses that we are going to see at the end of that furlough scheme, um, I, th- I think a lot of people are going to feel very differently. I think we are heading into a very, very difficult winter. Uh, let me talk also about the other thing we're told we're supposed to be fearful of. Again, how willing are you to take a risk that life outside the EU will be terrible or not? Um, we've got the the, the, the Brexit uh, d- trade um, deal negotiations still going on. Prime Minister pressing ahead yesterday with the publication of the internal uh, mar- UK Internal Markets Bill, uh, being told that this, this basically plan to override parts of the withdrawal agreement he signed, saying, oh, we didn't go into the detail. It was done too quickly we well we know the prime minister's not a details man the suspicion now look this is entirely just a, a way of trying to force movement from the eu it's a high risk strategy it's upset people like sir john major who says it's going to damage britain's standing on the world stage i always think it's a good day when john major's unhappy yeah, um, yeah, but um <laughs> but, but but i mean this, we're told this is a breach of international law in a very specific and limited way and it's all a bit of game playing um is this brinkmanship or is this a risk to our national reputation as people as a country that follow international law not at all that's complete nonsense it's interesting isn't it the people who are bleating loudest uh, about all of this are those who actually didn't want brexit they then wanted to try and stop brexit the likes of john major uh you know dominic grieve david gork all these people the truth is that what this bill does 
is iron out some very technical issues regarding trading in different parts of the United Kingdom. We are a sovereign nation. We're perfectly entitled to organize the trade and the technical issues around it, most of which are far too boring to bore people with, um, uh, amongst our, you know, within our own nation. And the withdrawal agreement entitles us to do that under something called Section 38, which says that our sovereignty overrides everything else. Um, you know, so we're perfectly entitled to do this. And the truth is that the European Union, uh, they have demonstrated bad faith throughout these negotiations, uh, which puts them in breach of the withdrawal agreement themselves. And for them to say that we've broken the letter and the spirit of the agreement, you know, frankly, is a bit rich coming from them. When you see how they're trying to negotiate on things like fishing and state aid with the political de declaration and the future trading arrangement, they're in breach, in my view, uh, you know, and, and therefore, yes, look, there's some tough negotiations, but really and truly, this is a complete, um, you know, it, it, it's a song and dance about, uh, frankly, not a lot. I think our Commonwealth partners around the world will respect us for looking after our own internal trading arrangements. Okay. Well, we shall wait and see what happens. Richard Tice, Brexit Party Chairman, very much appreciate you joining us. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their Golden Glow body set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow & Go facial set provides spa-level results at home. Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM. Know your times. Uh, coming up, I'm delighted to welcome the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps to the show. Good morning to you. Morning, Julie. Well, so you've been you've been tasked with trying to appease a probably a pretty angry, miserable, depressed nation today uh, after the announcements from the uh, Prime Minister yesterday. This uh, uh, rule of six, the threat of a 10 p.m. curfew. We've seen what's happened in Belgium. Um, Covid marshals with their little clipboards and their high vis vests. Um, restrictions possibly lasting until uh, March and Christmas. Uh, realistically, for most families, being cancelled. Um, 
Are all of these restrictions actually justified for a disease that we, a virus that we are now very much more in control of, which largely kills the very elderly and the very ill and leaves virtually everyone else unscathed? Is it really justifiable to impose these restrictions on people living in a free democracy uh, for that virus? Yeah, look, we've been down this route before, haven't we? we? We know how this works. If we do nothing right now, we know that the virus will double in a couple of weeks uh, and then it turns into a week and then into three days. And we know that that's the trajectory of this virus. And we know that because we've been through it before. But actually, we're also seeing the numbers increase elsewhere. And, uh, you know, a month or two ago when we saw the numbers start to increase in Spain and then in France, um, we could have had the same conversation. And what we're seeing in in uh, Spain, for example, is that the number of deaths is now uh, starting to move upwards as well. So I, I don't think the the facts or the epidemiology of the disease has changed one iota. And unfortunately, unless we take action, uh, then there'd be far worse action required, but, which we had before. We're not going into a second lockdown. And we're not, by the way, introducing 10 p.m. curfews either. Um, well, 10 p.m. curfews, are, or, or, well, we've, the, the Chris Whitty, the, press, the uh, chief medical officer, was pointing to what happened in Belgium and how they were able no. to flatten their curve. Yeah, but they did that by introducing, among other measures, 10 p.m. curfews. And we're talking about 10 p.m. curfews in areas with high rates. I, I've, <laughs> I would not be so certain. Are you telling me categorically right now there will be no 10 p.m. curfews nationwide across this nation in the next coming few months? As you know, we we've been in a complete lockdown before now, so I I can't uh, I can't promise you exactly. anything. Exactly. So we can't promise that's not happening. Okay. Say, we do want to localize it this time, Julia, okay. as you as you pointed out. Um, except we're not lo- except we're not localizing it, are we? Because this this rule of six is applying across the board. Now you said, look, if we do nothing, but but we're not going to do nothing. The Imperial College uh, computer models, which have proven to be really quite inaccurate, now we've got much more information about the virus. Two hundred fifty thousand people would die. That's why we had to go into lockdown again. That was if we did nothing. Uh, mm. Other countries, uh, you know, have had worse or better uh, rates of, of of deaths on this coronavirus. But everyone has done something. Even Sweden, famously not having a lot. Lockdown. They have actually had a lot of people social distancing. If we carried on with the hand hygiene, the social distancing, if perhaps the bars and the restaurants where these young people who were getting the virus were mixing were better policed, that would be probably enough to curtail this because we do know more about the virus and we do know who, who dies from the virus and we do know who's most at risk. Would it not make more sense, instead of putting restrictions on the entire nation, to police the rules that are currently in place in public places, like with the, uh, young people out partying, but also to perhaps offer more shielding to the elderly, to the vulnerable, and then say to everyone else, frankly, you know, you're going to have to take your chances. This virus isn't a big risk to you. You may catch it. You may die. But life is not without risk. And there are more bigger risks if we do actually effectively go into some semblance of lockdown. Shouldn't the government be a bit more grown up and treat us as the grown ups we are and allow us to assess our own level of risk as otherwise healthy, normal people of working age? I'm all up for people assessing their own level of risk. Uh, People, this is not something where, you know, you go skydiving, you know, there's a level of risk to you. This is something where that risk transfers to other people, your loved ones or possibly people you've never met. Uh, quite likely people you've never met who then then get ill themselves and some of those people will die we know that 41,000 people um, have died so it's not something which is only a matter of personal choice but I do agree with you when you said shouldn't we just sort of clarify the rules and let uh, and, and police it better one of the complications we had is obviously the initial lockdown was pretty straightforward you stayed at home you, you, you there were only four reasons why you could leave a home um, we then get into the period that we've been going through where 
uh, you know, life starting to get back to normal. But some of the rules have become quite, I think, complicated and confusing. And, you know, for example, two households uh, only, you could have six people from different households outside. But if you went into a restaurant, for example, uh, that uh, could only be uh, two households. How many people knew that? How many people were going in? You know, so it had become, I think, too much of a patchwork. The rule of six is very straightforward, isn't it? You know, you know that if there's more than six people in a social setting, in home, outside a home, in a pub, in a restaurant, uh, you've got it wrong. And that will make it much easier to enforce. And one of the things uh, the, the enforcement agencies, the police were saying is, look, actually, people just need a simple rule uh, that they can follow. It will be the law simple to follow okay. and i think if we do that then we can get these rates down again well it's simple to follow otherwise it's, but will it actually save lives so i'm in a situation i've got a husband and a daughter at home we want to meet up with a, a couple of friends of ours who've got two kids kids are at the same school we're real friends we've seen each other throughout um that'd be seven of us now that we would be committing on, on saturday we're allowed to do it on monday we're committing a criminal offense and we could all the adults could be fined a hundred pounds if we refuse to uh, disperse if you know, the police decide to knock on the door however I could on Monday meet up with five other people from five separate households and that wouldn't be an offence. Now, which do you think is a bigger risk of spreading the virus? Me meeting yeah. up with one other family, which involves uh, of seven people, or me meeting up with five other separate uh, households? I mean, you uh, know you the answer to that. It's yeah. insane. Uh, well, as you, as you can imagine, we had pretty extensive conversations uh, about this with the chief medical officer and chief scientific advisor, um, because um, you're right that the, there is in any system a degree of, uh, of um, an arbitrary line that has to be drawn. Uh, and what we've seen is essentially if you try and make that line too squiggly, if you try to introduce too many, ah, oh, but if it's this situation, then do this. And if it's that, then do that. People then get confused by the rules and actually with best will in the world some people may just not understand which rule they should be following under different circumstances this simplifies all of that and i understand what you're saying my example is we're in a family of five there are five of us if i want to see both my parents or both my wife's parents we can't see them all together as seven of us indoors or outdoors or in a restaurant or in a pub and that is very, uh, you know, sad for us. It's, no, no, it's not just I sad. Grant, Grant, than, it's stupid. The spread of this disease. Grant, it's stupid because if you see your mother and then two hours later you see your father and they live in the same household, they could spread it to each other anyway. So therefore, you've introduced and you're backing and you are currently defending as a government minister a rule that you know right now. I, I know that you know it's a stupid rule. I know it's a stupid rule. Everyone listening knows it's a stupid rule. No, and I yet the agree. government is imposing this rule. No, I don't agree. It's not going to save we... any lives. You not seeing your mum and dad at the same time is not going to save a single life. I, 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 don't, I don't agree and here's why. Um, we, we already discussed the way that people respond to rules as they get more complicated. And I bet a lot of people didn't realise that it was okay to have six people outside from different households, but you couldn't do that inside a restaurant, for example. It just got too complicated for people to be able to simply follow the rules. And so having a line in the sand where you say this is on the right side and this is on the wrong okay. side, I know it's a little bit uh, blunt, but it does make it easier to follow. Because it's easier to follow, it's easier for the authorities to interpret, it's easier for pubs and restaurants to interpret, it's easier for the police to interpret, and will actually well, therefore keep the virus the, down. The police didn't seem to know what the rules were when they were very simple about the lockdown. So um, in terms of in, uh, enforcing it, um, tell us the powers of these COVID marshals. What, what powers are they going to have? Little, little people, I'm assuming way. they're going to have clipboards and high-vis vests, so they're going to feel terribly yeah. important. Well, they'll, they'll be able to uh, remind people, for example, if they're about to go into a shop, that um, you uh, need to be putting on a face covering. Remind people? Are they able to enforce it? No. no they, they, Why do we be... need reminding? 
because actually we you know actually we all need reminding of these things and i was out and about yesterday and i was about to walk into a, a station there was actually somebody there in a purple um jacket these are people we call uh, journey makers and actually just having those people there just visually seeing someone just like, oh yeah of course you know we're living in different times you put the face covering on and i think that's a very useful reminder in my area well in hatfield we have and people with street wardens. They're, they're not police. They don't have those types of powers. But what they are very good at doing is reminding people, you know, perhaps if uh, things look like they might get a bit unruly, that there's uh, people there who are able to um, you know, provide people direction, keep a sense of order. Ultimately, um, the police are the people who have to enforce. So they won't these. have. They won't have powers. They won't actually have any powers. No, but. But, you know, the whole the whole purpose of having this straightforward rule of six is if you break that rule, the police can ask you to be dispersed. The, the marshals could, of course, alert okay. the problem. They can fine, as you correctly said. And in the end, they could possibly arrest as well. But we very much hope we okay. don't have to get Let, to Let's message. talk about Christmas Day. Lots of headlines are, are Christmas is cancelled. Prime Minister all very apologetic. But, you know, and again, oh, I, I, you know, I have to do this. I mean, he doesn't have to do this. There are always choices. Um, but Christmas Day. So I've got, you know, I've got brothers and sisters. I've got you know, parents, step parents. They're, 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 you know, kids, quite a lot of us. Normally we'd have, you know, 12 to 14 people. Um, if we went ahead and did that, we, that we'd be breaking the law. We'd be fine. Um, realistically, unless you're going to be sending the police to every single person's household, how are you going to police that on Christmas Day? Yeah. Do, you th- we, do you expect people will actually ruin their family Christmases for this? Well, first of all, we're not at Christmas yet. And uh, I thought it was interesting, actually, when Chris Whitty was asked about the timing for this yesterday. He said, it's pro- look, it's probably not three weeks that we need to have it in. It's longer. Um, it, it hopefully won't be months and months. And Christmas is still a way away and we'll have to see what we're able to do. And the, the I suppose the hope is if we can all follow this and we can get the R number down below one again, uh, then, um, of course, we'll be able to review the rules before Christmas. But we'll have to wait and see. And secondly, to answer your question, yes, it would be uh, uh, breaking the law. Uh, I'm afraid we've been here before. There was a point at which it was actually illegal to be outside your home for any one of our, apart from four reasons. And you'd be breaking the law in Britain in the 21st century if you were. But we all accepted that during the main part of the lockdown. And I think people will accept it. Yeah, we we have policing by consent, don't we? We do, but we we were doing that because we were supposedly protecting the NHS, which could become overwhelmed. There's no evidence the NHS came close, even remotely close to being overwhelmed. We've got the Nightingale hospitals. There's no reason for us to go into lockdown to save the NHS. The NHS needs to be fully functioning. We need to be out and about. I think the thing about a virus, uh, as, as we saw in the earlier days and as we went into the peak, um, is you get the the doubling thing and then doubling and double, and it becomes a very, very fast growth rate and gets out of control. And that's how, uh, you know, let, let's let's not forget at the height of um, things, hospital admissions were over three or nearly three and a half thousand people being admitted to hospital per day. If that had doubled again and doubled again, in a very short period of time, then we certainly would have required the spillover. We didn't well, because yeah, we, we, um, we, we provided it. Yeah, so yeah, we but, had the Nightingale what, Hospital to provide that, didn't we? I suppose what I'm trying to say is the, the in answer to your point, the difference between success and failure is the extent to which people follow the rules and actually can be quite marginal. Uh, and therefore very important that people okay. do follow rules. Okay. Otherwise, you do get the doubling and doubling taking place. All right. And our only hope for you not to um, have to choose between mum and dad and who you invite on Christmas Day, I don't know whether Mrs Shapps gets to say in this or not, so we can have a, a no more than six on Christmas Day, is this moonshot, we're told, this attempt uh, to bring in some sort of very rapid fire, rapid test, where it, presumably you cut out the laboratories and, and people have a test, they can get the results within 20 minutes. Um, we've heard so many, to- so many conversations 
over the last few months, six months onwards, about an antibody test that would be the game changer, the immunity passports, um, the antigen testing on a huge scale. Yes, we've upgraded our, our scaling of, of, our, mm. of our testing, but we're looking at having millions of tests instead of you know, 250,000 a day. This isn't a moonshot, is it? This is a long shot. A moonshot, by its very definition, is something which is very difficult to to to, to achieve, uh, but that we think is worthwhile. And you're right, you know, completely level with you. There have been things during this coronavirus. There's no manual for tackling a global uh, pandemic. There have been things which have worked well. There have been things that haven't. Um, the things that have worked well have included getting 30,000 ventilators, mostly made yeah. in Britain, up from, I think we had about 7,000 at the beginning of this, uh, building those seven Nightingale hospitals in days, just in days. Now being able to test 300,000 people a day, and we've got that going up to 500,000 with Charnwood and Newport coming online. So, uh, and by the way, being I, I, you know the first country to, to to discover treatment that actually works and saves uh, uh, lives in dexamethasone. So it's it, it's not like some of these things don't come off. And I think that we do have to be ambitious. It's not our only hope to save Christmas, though. Just to to slightly. Uh, correct that point actually we can save christmas by absolutely okay. following the rules but, of six that we've talked about the, today and the then only we'll way, see what, the only way we're going to avoid a second full national lockdown and bma have got a leaked uh, memo this morning uh, saying the prime minister believes there is our only way of avoiding a second national lockdown before a vaccine is having that capacity for 10 million tests we've never reached any of the targets realistically in terms of the number of people testing so far uh, well, I, wanted, the... I, I want to take you up on that I, I remember very clearly when the health secretary said it was said we would get to a hundred thousand tests and it I was like, oh, it won't be possible. I guess what we got to well, 100,000. We're now on 300. For one, yeah, that, that was a, that was that was for one day at that moment. Look, there were some question marks about that, but getting getting to a few hundred thousand is quite different from getting, say, 10 million tests a day. Isn't Which it? is why it's a moonshot. You're, you're look, you're absolutely right. It's so not we're going to have a second lockdown. Straightforward, but do, would you prefer that we didn't have ambitions to um, do this? That we didn't have. Plans do, do you know what? Do you know what I would prefer? And, so and I no, and I think I think an awful lot of people. I love the fact we're looking at the vaccines. I love that. We, yeah, we've got mm. to do all of that. But I think what this government, what this country would prefer, people like me who've been very supportive of the government and, and supported the lockdown. I'm not a skeptic about it. I'm realistic. I think a lot of my listeners would feel what we really want is the government to just plod on with a lot of the really boring, dull stuff of getting a capacity up, getting getting the, those labs working so we can get people getting tested quickly and upscaling and it, in the, doing the perhaps the dull ground work that does make a difference to saving lives rather than big gestures yeah look you've got to do both is the simple answer and the, the very dull boring stuff is as you say making sure hands face space getting those very very important messages out there you mentioned okay. it already at the beginning of the, the interview it's a bit dull you might think it doesn't work it absolutely does work there's a brilliant um, video i saw from the nhs last night which sort of shows how uh, the virus is able to spread uh, through the hands face space thing or reinforce that message okay. very dull very boring very 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 important and we do have to keep on with the the day by day you know drudgery of trying to beat this virus i'm afraid the rule of six is part of that okay. but we also want to you know lift our sights and and do the big things we've now contributed uh, billions to the global effort to beat um coronavirus you know to to the the world vaccine alliance uh, and the like. And, you know, we we have one of the or at least two of actually of the leading vaccine. Yeah, no, um, and I'm, and I'm so, very no, proud of our efforts on that front. We're, look, we're going to have to leave it there because I know your team are going to be shouting at my team for uh, for me carrying you over far too long. Uh, but Grant Shapps, Transport Secretary, I do appreciate you joining us and, uh, and answering all our questions and taking the time. Thank you very much.
Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.